a palace to Vikings, taking them out of the elements and into the 21st century. That is the land that you're entering this week. While you'll hear the chants and the horns and the coordinated claps, will you be able to see the fast approaching danger? Join us as a group of Broncos enters this palace and discovers the horrors of getting too confident too quickly. All you'll leave with is the false promise of what could have been in the Denverse. Beautiful, sad horse noises. I'm Derek. <laughs> I'm Quinn. And welcome to the Denverse. I was actually in Minneapolis for that Broncos game this weekend. They lost 27 to 23 after being up 20 points in after the first half. An amazing turn of events. I think this season now covers every way that a team can lose. And I will say, first off the bat, that the Minneapolis Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, is the nicest stadium I've ever been in. I've been in several of the domes, including Arizona's and Houston's, and the Minnesota one just blows everything away. It's so nice. Well, I think, technically, because of the angles, can it be called a dome? It's more just like an enclosed monstrosity. (laughs) They were telling me that um, when they had the NCAA tournament there, they actually had to like white out the windows on top because there was too much light getting in and it was confusing for the court. Like it was above regulation light on the court. Oh, wow. And the other weird thing was Alan Roach is the announcer for the Minnesota Vikings now. And he said before the game in a tweet, it was weird to call a game against the Broncos because he was the Broncos PA announcer for years. Yeah. But it was just him, you know, getting excited about the Vikings instead of the Broncos. I didn't even know announcers could go to other places. That feels very uncomfortable to think about. I know, especially because, you know, he was here for so long. He still does the Avs games. He just is from Minnesota. Oh, okay. When they opened that stadium, they asked him, and he does the train here. Like, talk about double allegiance. <laughs> So, um, it was interesting. I also went to Paisley Park, oh. Prince's home. It looks kind of like an office building, which is weird. The cool parts were the parts that they haven't touched. So, like, where, like, Prince's kitchen was, he has, like, booths that look like pianos. And his office is, like, a desk that only Prince could sit behind. <laughs> and a cool recording studio. And I got to go to his club that's in Paisley Park that was like my dream to see him at. And I think I'm, I really missed out on life by not going. Oh. But everything that the museum is doing is bad. Like, it's just very poorly done. Okay, so well, we'll never get a sponsor from Paisley Park. What, mm-hmm. So, it, you said an office building, but is it like princely decorated on the inside? Yeah, I mean, you go in and all the walls are just clouds. And they're like... There are doves on the ceiling that symbolize that there is no ceiling. And then they actually have real doves in cages, like right there, that Prince kept at Paisley Park. That and sensible. They didn't let any, you go in any of the residential part. That's still off limits. Um, but yeah, it was weird. They had, they had like shrines to all three of his movies, which made absolutely no sense because no one's even ever heard of one of the three of the movies. <laughs> and like they had like JPEGs that they'd really blown up. And they put them on the wall, which was like, there's no way Prince would have approved that. Mm. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like to be Prince is to be very methodical in everything. So even if you have like a very, very detailed um, like estate plan, 
there's just there's corporate people now running the show. Yeah, and I think his family is big in that. So yeah, but it was good to see. Um, the game, the Minnesota fans were pretty nice, which was weird, but also good. I mean, Rose, who I went with, who was my friend from college, is very, very loud at sporting events. Like, she's the one that's like, come on, let's go, let's go. Not a single Vikings fan said a word to her after they won, which anywhere uh, else, yeah. they would have said a lot. Well, especially given the circumstances of the loss. But yeah. I mean, I guess that's the bad midwestern charm that they talk so much about why can't wild fans when they come here act like that because they are loud and obnoxious and in your face about winning uh, well i think vikings fans have just been humbled long enough <laughs> wild fans should have that too but they should they're it's coming wild so it's time for the longest seven minutes in sports <laughs> with our denver's recap on Wednesday, the impeachment hearings began. Sorry, wrong show notes. <laughs> On Thursday, Carmelo Anthony signed with the Portland Trailblazers, ending his almost year long absence from the NBA and returning to the court. Yes. Um, one that I was really excited about. It's great to get breaking news alerts that don't have to do with politics, um, and it's the return. Of the washed messiah, uh, Carmelo Anthony, to Portland of all places. Which, like, as any dutiful Nuggets fan, I booed him the first, like, five or six times he came to Denver. But after a while, I started to be like, guys, we just, we've, like, had so much more success than Melo since he's left. We can give it a rest. Um, so I was really happy to hear that he was able to find a team. I think because, like, now we've aged out of that era entirely and like that's the era we grew up on. I don't want to let it go. Like I don't want Trey Young to be and Luka Doncic to be the new faces of the NBA. Um so I'm hoping all the best for Melo, but I also hope nothing but misery for Portland. Yeah, why did it have to be Portland? It's like the one team we hate the most right now other than just like the Lakers forever. And that's where Carmelo has to go. Yeah, I was really hoping for Brooklyn because then he gets to be back in New York. We don't have to care about him. Um, and we already played Brooklyn, so we wouldn't be coming back to Denver. But unfortunately, we're going to see Melo in Portland. Well, on Portland, in Denver at some point. Um, but it's only because Portland has been struggling so much that they needed, <laughs> they were desperate enough to go for Melo and no other team was in that position. Well, welcome back, Melo. Um, I hope that it does not help Portland. Also on Thursday, the Avs lost to the Edmonton Oilers 6-2. to two. It was a very rough game. Connor McDavid, of course, got a hat trick on the Avalanche's AHL tandem. Both goalies played. Adam Warner, who'd, sit, who'd got in the win earlier in the week with the shutout, was actually pulled for Antoine Bebo. Mm. Yes, the Avs had a goalie named Bebo for a couple games. It was his... Second appearance of the year in hockey. He had played one game in the AHL, the minor league team, gotten hurt, and had not played again until that moment. Damn. So that's where the Avs were on goaltending. Uh, Tyson Jost got hurt after that game. Continuing the streak, it was the fifth game in a row that the Avs lost a player uh, due to injury. But his wasn't as dramatic as... It was not. Uh, it was not clear on the ice. We will get to the on the ice one in a minute. Oh boy! 
Um, well, then this continues my very fresh rivalry with the city of Edmonton. Um, I don't know much about you, but I don't like you. Calgary is definitely a better city. Boo, Edmonton. Sorry just to get that shot. No, I'm quick. glad you did. Um, the Nuggets knocked off the Nets 101-93. Jokic and Millsap both had 18 points, and the bench finally came alive. Four bench players really had contributed there. It was exciting. Oh, yeah. I think more than anything to see Morris, like, moving the ball down the court, facilitating, and, like, being confident to take those shots. It was beautiful to see. Um, they continued their streak of having just terrible portions of the game. I remember I worked a really long day, came home, um, had, like, my first beer of the week, only then to be depressed for a full half of basketball. It's like, Nuggets, stop sucking so much. But then they decided to be the team that we always wanted them to be in the third and fourth and um, had a pretty convincing win had you not watched the first half. <laughs> Nothing happened on Friday, apparently. On Saturday, the CU men's basketball team knocked off San Diego, and we're going to get tomorrow to them in a second. It was a good win for the Buffs because they'd actually lost in San Diego last year. Yeah. So San Diego's not a great team, but CU beat them this time. The Avs beat the Canucks 5-4 in overtime. So McKinnon and McCarr continued their dazzling show of goals. And then with a few minutes left, the Avs were up by two goals. The Canucks pulled their goalie. And then Calvert was down defending. He took a puck to the head, started bleeding, and was laying, basically passed out on the ice, and the ref did not blow the whistle dead, even though when it is of the opinion that a player is gravely injured on the ice, the ref is supposed to blow the whistle. Everyone on the ice was furious, including some of the Vancouver players. Yeah, like they stopped and like, uh, this yeah. is going to keep on happening? Okay. And then when it did keep happening, they scored a goal. Yeah. And... Everyone on the Avs, including Jared Bednar, raised their voice. And by raising the voice, he just was disapproving, which was the most excitement you're going to get out of Bednar, which I'm okay with. I think uh, we should maybe start a chant instead of a refs, you suck. (laughs) It's refs, I'm disappointed in your choices. (laughs) We have to get the cadence down, but I really think that'll, like, affect them more. Um, Anyways, no one was more mad than Nathan McKinnon, who started overtime by taking the puck at center ice, skating into the... Vancouver's zone and immediately scoring just to prove <laughs> that this was unfair and he wasn't going to stand for it anymore. Mm. I, I got some more thoughts on McKinnon later, but uh, Antoine Bebo got his first win for the Avalanche with 32 saves. Um, so good for Bebo. On Sunday, the already mentioned Broncos blew a 20 point halftime lead and lost 27 23. Uh, Brandon Allen, 17 of 39. 240 yards, one touchdown, one interception. It was okay. The interception was really bad at the end of the first half. Um, if they'd scored there, maybe 23 to nothing would have been too much to overcome. Um, or 27, which is what they were going for. Although I saw somewhere that Noah Fant was actually out of position on the throw from Allen. Yeah. And if he hadn't been, maybe they would have caught it at the two-yard line. Well, it's a situation. Yeah, I've... Unfortunately, I was working an awful event, but luckily none of the bosses cared that everyone was watching the game on their phone. Um, was it a phone event? Uh, well, you know, I'm still getting money from them, so I can't uh, disclose <laughs> who, what, when, where I was. Um, I hope it was on their phones. It was, there was really good Wi-Fi service. Good. At least Glad I can say it. that. Um, 
But it was a situation where Fant just like ran through the zone as opposed to parking his large body in the zone um, to catch the ball. But that's a situation where you have uh, two dudes who don't have a lot of experience on the football field in general um, trying to maneuver an offense that otherwise was looking incredible at some points. Uh, the end around uh, to Sutton long a field pass, that was beautiful. That was like, why did it take that long to see that type of Broncos offense in the first half? Yeah, I mean, the offense was flawless. They were doing everything right. Janovich, before he went on the IR with one of the worst elbow injuries I've ever seen, had his great run for a touchdown. Um, Fumagalli, who didn't even know he was still on the team, caught a touchdown pass. I also didn't know he was white. I, (laughs) this is just one thing that I've like, I've, the entire time I pictured a Samoan-looking individual. It's not him. Happy for you, uh, Troy Fumagalli, uh, former Badger. Even though you dropped that ball later, that well, everyone was like, why are you throwing to him again? He made his one good play. <laughs> yeah, you're milking it too much. <laughs> um, so it, the thing about that game was that it it reminded me most of that Avs playoff game last year where McKinnon scored twice and then McCarr scored, and it was like everything is going too well. Everything for the Broncos in the first half went so well that you were just like, this cannot continue, and then it did not continue. And immediately, as soon as Minnesota scored early in the third quarter, I was like, they're going to lose. Like, I just knew it. I didn't say anything for a while to my friends who I went with, but it was just very clear that this Broncos team was not going to be able to hold on to that lead. Uh, Which, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's great against losing teams, and so... The stat gods were already in Minnesota's favor, but I'm not. I'm not going to take it as a disappointing loss because we, it was fun for a while. It was. It was truly enjoyable to watch Denver Broncos offensive football. It's been a long, long time. After the game, when the team got back to Denver, Von Miller took everyone to Del Frisco's to forget about their troubles and work on team unity. Which was weird, but that's that was the big story out of Monday. Instead of talking about the loss, they just all talked about the great dinner they had at Del Frisco's. Which, um, it's a great place to go. Yeah, I don't blame them for it, but it's it's weird that that was the story out of the locker room on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> the Nuggets put together their most dominant performance of the year, beating the Memphis Grizzlies 131-114. Jamal Murray had 39 points, and Michael Malone was unhappy about the team's defense after the game. Fair enough. Oh, another thing, good to point out, 39 points in three quarters because it was enough of a blowout that the second unit got the full run of the fourth, um, which they did. um, I think Memphis scored like 30-plus points in that fourth quarter. Uh, So shout-out to Moach. I'm still seeing, I guess, the trash in otherwise a beautiful. Just at some point. Like, you can't be mad after every game. Like, it just gets old. And this was a game where it was like, this is the NBA. No one can keep a lead. It was such a big lead, they weren't going to catch you. Yeah. So maybe don't be so mad about it. Well, I, I was disappointed because they were floating around a 30-point lead for a while and moving up to a 40-point blowout. And then I think they only won by 17. So me as a fan who has nothing to do, I was happy. But I, early in the season, I like a fiery Coach Malone. Although you can say some nice stuff about Jamal Murray. I was in I was in Minnesota, so this does not mean that it was actually an illegal stream this time. But 
during one of the breaks, they have a Dippin' Dot song that they play in Memphis, which was like the greatest thing I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. It was just like, get your Dippin' Dots, and they would all dance. It was like the Dippin' Dots dance cam. I re- honestly, uh, for the Ice Cream of the Future, they haven't really expanded in a while, so I'm happy to know that they've got a strong presence um, <laughs> at whatever arena is in Memphis. I mean, actually, knowing some behind the scenes, they are located somewhere down there. They and Doc Popcorn are one company. Oh. So that's all I know. <laughs> On Monday, the CU men's basketball team knocked off UC Irvine, which was a big win because UC Irvine was an upset team in the tournament last year. Um, and they moved up to 23rd in the rankings. So two weeks in a row in the rankings, and they actually moved up. They're playing Wyoming on Sunday. Mm-hmm. If they win that game, they should move up again. So exciting times again for CU basketball. Um, on Tuesday, the Avalanche beat the Flames 3-2 to after having a 3 nothing lead. Andre Burakovsky moved up to the first line after Calvert got hurt. And playing with McKinnon, he ended up scoring two goals. In the last three years, Burakovsky has scored 12 goals in each year. So 12 three times in a row. He already has 10 goals this season. So he's really looking to break that 12-goal mark. Both Grubauer and Francois returned to be the goaltender tandem. Grubauer played and got the win. So the goalies are healthy again. We got rid of Warner and Bebo. And like it finally feels like life, light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. As of now, no injuries have been reported from the game. Wow. So that could change. On Wednesday, the Nuggets released their black Skyline jerseys. So they look exactly like the white Skyline jerseys, except they are black. Black. (laughs) (laughs) And they actually look really cool. Yeah. Do you have a favorite between the two right now? Um, Well, I have the white is my favorite because that's the one that I've had the ability to purchase. Um, But, I mean, the black looks real, real slick. Uh, I think after years and years of cool mock-ups being floated on the internet, um, it's rad to see something come out that like fits all of the dreams of like the 2009 season where they they said, oh, they're going to release an awesome New Jersey, and people are saying, it's going to be the rainbow. It's going to be the rainbows, but black, we finally have them. They look cool. Just for the record, they basically didn't change the jersey. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was. I think that was the year they had the curse of nuggets. Yes, um, so like really classed it up because those were still the nuggets. So it's like a good juxtaposition. Um, this nuggets team, I think the black rainbow really fits the identity um, and the swagger. I am excited to see what they look like. The one thing I'll say about the white ones is that they do not look great on TV. Like they look great in person mm-hmm. and less good on TV. I feel like these black ones are going to look really good on TV. Because they've got the white lettering on the back, so you're going to be able to see everything. I feel like the colors are going to pop. Yeah. And the white is also, is terrible for wearing in Las Vegas or at the bar. I've already had to get it dry cleaned a couple times. Uh, so the black is really stain friendly. The next time we see Michael Malone, you will be in a black Nuggets jersey instead of a white one, is I, what you're saying. I hope so. I may go to the Celtics game tomorrow, depending on how tonight's game against the surging rockets goes speaking of which we are recording this before the houston rockets defeat the denver nuggets so just just so everyone's aware before that happens yes before that happens <laughs> um coming up this week cu is going to take on washington on saturday their bowl eligibility still alive they've just got to win their last two games 
The Avs' big matchup of the week will be against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who just fired Mike Babcock as their coach. Babcock was like the all-star stellar free agent head coach of the Red Wings a few years ago, and now he drove Tyson Berry into the direct ground and has been run out of town. So not ha- not unhappy. The Nuggets play the Celtics on Friday, which you mentioned, and the Broncos in the Battle of the Allens travel to Buffalo, New York to take on Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Who Josh Allen, I don't think he thinks about the Broncos at all, but might want to show out for a team that could have drafted him but uh, did not. Uh, man, it's so interesting that Buffalo is a good team this year. I know. It's going to be... I don't know. I mean, I think the Broncos are going to lose. Yeah. But I'm. it's nice because no team has been good, and it's been six years since the Jets were good, and that was the last good team in that division. Outside of... That, I mean, the Patriots. I just meant, like, Patriots are always good. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. yeah. It, no worth even. <laughs> so, um, also, next week is Thanksgiving, so we're not going to be recording, which oh. we didn't talk about. But oh, fair enough. Don't expect an episode next week, except for our... Denver Nuggets episode that we're going to be dropping next week. Yes, sir. Denver stories coming at you. So that's it for our seven-minute recap. Great. Just, I got a text message. That oh, I thought, through. I thought you were looking at the time. So our probably 17 and a half minute. It was, it was a little less, I think. I think it was like 14 minutes. Really? Yeah. A few topics to discuss. The first one I want to talk about is a game from August 15th, 2018. Hmm. Tyler Anderson was the starter for the Colorado Rockies and had quite an outing. 4.1 innings pitched, 7 hits, 9 earned runs. He gave up 3 runs in both the first and the second inning. Anderson went on to lose his next 4 games before getting his final win of the season. To say that this was a lot of momentum built up is saying a lot. Like That was really the slide of Tyler Anderson. The interesting thing is that game happened in Houston against the Astros, which, if you have been following at all, means there is a pretty good chance that the Astros were cheating in that game and tipping Tyler Anderson's breaking ball pitches. Well, it's not even fair to say tipping. They were (laughs) legitimately watching the calls and cheating uh, and blew up. At that point, the Rockies were still... Kind of in the hunt, yeah? Yeah, because they ended up tying the Dodgers for the division at the end of the season. That one win, if you could just go back and change one moment in time, that one win would have made it so they won the division and I believe would have at least been the home team. Well, maybe not the home team. I think they would have been in the other series yeah. against one of those teams. I don't remember who was in who the Dodgers played. but It was this, this moment. I have been so fascinated just – deep in the schadenfreude of watching a team that, at the time, like everyone was rooting for the Astros because they had sucked for the uh, several seasons previous. That They weren't the Yankees. They weren't the Dodgers. Um, and just to recap, anyone that doesn't know what's going on, oh yeah. basically what happened was it's been found that the Houston Astros had a camera they were watching and then finding out when the breaking ball pitches were coming, and then they were banging a bat really loudly on the dugout so that their pitchers would know a breaking ball was coming and either not swing at it or be prepared to hit it. It's so stupid, it's genius. The the like there's so many advanced analytics or um like algorithms that 
could be employed. No, they just had a camera in the outfield watching the signs from the catcher to the pitcher and then relaying that to a TV screen. And, like, all of the Twitter sleuths have, like, dug up footage of... It was like a guy just eating sunflower seeds watching a TV with a trash can sitting next to him as he would then just watch... Oh, change up. Bang, bang. Um, And... Now there's hours and hours of footage where you see breaking ball getting called, bang, bang, right after it, and then a player hitting um, or swinging or not swinging because of it. And the Rockies, yeah, Tyler Anderson got absolutely eaten up in a season where he was a super serviceable pitcher. Yeah, he was still pretty good before that happened, and then he completely fell apart. He didn't make the postseason roster. Like, it was a mess. And, I mean, just the repercussions. So they think this started right before the Houston Astros playoff run. At least the Astros said they wanted to cheat in emails right before the playoff run where they beat the Dodgers in the World Series. And then we think that's been going on ever since. And they made the World Series again this year and made the playoffs last year. Yeah. And it really sucks because it forces fans to have a little sympathy for both the Dodgers and Yankees who lost very major postseason games in Houston due to this cheating. I think, and it's still, it's so stupid. Like, it's uh, super unsophisticated. This year, they're saying that instead of banging, there were, like, very specific whistles that were getting sent out. Um, And the other thing that I don't, like, I don't know what the repercussions of this are, but all of their good players, maybe they're not that good. Yeah. Like, maybe Correa and Bregman and... Altuve. Yeah, maybe they're just decent players who just had all of the help that they needed to be good players. No, yeah, uh, Altuve's hitting splits in the MV- his MVP season were huge, like vastly different at home in a way. Um, and in, in baseball, it you can only be so good at cheating because even then you could see instances where clearly they know what the pitch is and players still swing and miss. But it's so complicated that one hit can change the complexion of a game. And you have several hits that changes the complexion of a season. And a few hits in a postseason game, there you are. 2017 World Series champion Houston Astros. Here is something interesting. The Washington Nationals from Washington, D.C. were the team that battled and beat the corruption of the Houston Astros. <laughs> Just wanted to take that in for a second. Way to go, DC. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no one really knows what's going to happen. Like, this is so unprecedented. We were talking before, this is worse than anything the Patriots have done. Yeah. Like, it's it's so bad. It's like on the level of in the NBA ref Donahue throwing games for teams. Yeah. And that was, like, sexier scandal. This is just, like... Um, they talk. Uh, John Oliver talks about stupid Watergate around uh, some of the Trump scandals. This is just like, it's stupid, it's so brazen, and they have just such a arrogance about them going from being bottom feeders in the league to all of a sudden they're such a good team, they've got this swagger, they talk so much shit. They just had a scandal with their GM around domestic abuse, and and when that came out, there were journalists saying like something is wrong with the Houston, like just all everyone from Houston. They have this arrogance that they cannot be beaten. And, you know, they were the ones that denied the reporter from Detroit to talk to Verlander. 
until the Baseball Writers Association said, no, you can't do that. And, like, there are all of these things, and it's, I mean, it's going to be so fascinating to see what happens. I There is not a punishment. Like, declare them ineligible, make them get rid of all of their players. Like, what do you do? It's so hard. I th- well, in one, like, every team steals signs. Yeah, which is allowed. You're but, allowed yeah. to steal signs. But it has to be through, like, cunning, not just a video camera. Like, uh... It, it's like it, in, if this were done in like 1994, it would be amazing because it'd be leveraging this new technology in a way that no one could have imagined. But this is like a bunch of like 65 year old executives thinking like, how can we game the system? And then just putting a camera in the outfield. Uh, but yeah, there's it's, it's there's no precedent for how big this is, how far it's spanned, and because of the ability to crowdsource sleuthing, like. So many baseball nerds on the internet have all of this footage documenting this cheating. And then, yeah, another executive just sending an email. It's like, hey, how can we cheat to win games? Um, So, I mean, Major League Baseball doesn't want to have to deal with this, but there's just no way to keep the integrity of the game um, and let the Astros slide by. Like, a financial fine's not going to solve this problem. The other thing that just tells you how ingrained this was was that there was this executive for the Astros who went to the Cardinals. His name was Kiss Cor- Chris Correa. He took information with him, and he ended up getting charged with 12 counts of corporate espionage, and the Cardinals got had to give two draft picks to Houston for this cheating. It was the same organization. It was a Houston guy that left for St. Louis. So like, oh, I'll cheat. And he's yeah. just thinking they cheat. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to follow. And if everything else wasn't crazy in the world, this would be a much bigger story. Yeah. But like everything else is crazy in the world. Uh, I wanted to talk about Nathan McKinnon right now is sort of the de facto captain for the Colorado Avalanche because Gabe Landeskog is out forever. And so you get an extra assistant captain when your captain is hurt. So the Avs have had a rotating roster. Unfortunately, a lot of the captains have been hurt. Both Calvert and Belmar wore an A for a while and both got hurt. But McKinnon's sort of the de facto captain. And having Nathan McKinnon be the captain is sort of like having Han Solo be the captain of your team. Like, he goes and just, like, loses it, like, with the refs. Because the thing about McKinnon is he's better than everyone else, and he plays with an edge. When he's good, he's playing with sort of an angry edge. And so we saw this in the game when Calvert got hurt. McKinnon loses it in a way that you're not supposed to really as a captain. Like, Landis Gog can lose it, but he knows how to play the game. Mm-hmm. McKinnon's just, like, all outright furious. And this has happened so many times. And I've just loved it so much, just seeing McKinnon, like, McKinnon, you really shouldn't be the captain. But I'm enjoying you being the captain right now for just because he's a superstar and he's not going to be diplomatic because he doesn't have to be. Yeah. I just loved it. Well, I, I love it in the sense that my favorite trope in sports still is the leader of men. And McKinnon, I mean, still a young dude, even though now a preeminent star in the league, uh, the skills needed to be the leader, to be the captain don't always translate into having all the skills on the ice. I mean, Landis Gog is great, but he's not McKinnon. Yeah. But now your figurehead is so clear as that your best player is also your captain, 
and the edge that he has on the ice is not necessarily the edge that you need to be a leader, but in a team that has just taken so many like um, slings and arrows at this point in the season, yeah, I want to see some fire. Yeah, and I mean, it's great. Like I would be fine if he was the captain forever if Landis Cog wasn't here. Like, when Landis yeah. come, Cog comes back. But it's just been a lot of fun to watch, especially because he and Makar are just blowing teams away. Like, the things that they can do together are amazing. When they have Rantanen and Landis Cog back, like, those four on the ice are going to be so deadly with <sighs> their passing that I just don't know what teams are going to do. Well, I, I hope uh, at this point McKinnon and Makar, like, after every game, go eat barbecue and then just talk about life and hockey and what it means to grow as a man. Um, because Makar is like, he's getting molded by some awesome people in this organization. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's still so young. He's looking to set rookie scoring records, which is crazy. And I think the the other thing that was funny was he and Belmar have this new thing where they like jump and do like a, like a chest bump out on the ice at the end of the game. So look for that the next time the Avs get a win. And finally, just sort of wrapping things up, uh, podcast last week, you were like, Brandon Allen is the future. <laughs> Do you still feel like Brandon Allen is the future? <sighs> um, well, he's definitely the future for the next, what, four or five days until we well, going he, into Buffalo. I think at least the next two games. Like, they're not going to activate him this week, probably. Uh, and he has to be, yeah, and he has to be activated for, he has to be a backup, according to Fangio, for a week. Yeah. So we're looking, at, and Fangio said today, maybe he won't start this season. He had some convoluted story. Well, I mean, like, in part, the Broncos still just aren't anywhere close enough to being the worst team in the league to get a top five draft pick. I think right now they're set at 10, which is like all the suffering we've gone through. It's not even like a super great draft pick. The complexion of the draft changes with the horrific injury the quarterback Tua Tagovailoa um, suffered. Um, like, he had a hip injury, and they were talking about it like part of the hip may die. It was um, like, it's like Bo Jackson level is what I heard. Yeah. Like, what ended Bo Jackson's career is what Tua has. Yeah. And he was, like, one of the consensus uh, top five picks. So, at this point, there just may not be a quarterback worthy of drafting for the Broncos. Oh, I I don't know. I I was still banging the drum for Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, <laughs> knowing full well that that's not going to change anything for the Broncos, like in the free agency. So, yes, I am all for uh, Brandon Allen being the future of the Broncos because I don't think the Broncos' future is all that bright to begin with. Uh, I would love like the only thing that myself or no Bronco fan wants is a quarterback battle going into next year. So I'm banging the drum for Brendan Allen to be that boy so we don't have to <laughs> go through hours and hours of the news duel, Locke or Allen, which still Bronco fans thinking that, remember when we thought Paxton Lynch was going to be that dude? Remember when we thought uh, Trevor Simeon was going to be? Like our hearts. For the record, I never thought Paxton Lynch was going to be that guy. Well, like it was April twenty fourth, two thousand seventeen, <laughs> the draft. <laughs> um, I heard a great Brandon Allen told a great uh, story today that I saw that one of the press guys covered. Apparently, when he was at Arkansas, they lost a game and someone set his truck on fire. Whoa! So that's how Arkansas fans are. He had to move after that. 
Oh, so these, this wasn't like fun frat stuff. This was threats. Yeah, it was like he lost a game and his truck got set on fire. So he knows pressure. So, th- so then how many Arkansas quarterbacks have had their <laughs> <laughs> truck set on fire? Because Arkansas has sucked. He had a warning a few games before he'd lost, and they threw eggs at his car. This time they were just like, we're burning the truck down. <laughs> well, Woo Pig Suey, uh, shout out to Arkansas, me being the only Arkansas fan that I've ever met. Um, Got to stop that. You're not going <laughs> to rise up the ranks of the SEC if you threaten the lives of your quarterbacks. Well, with that, I just want to say happy to Thanksgiving to everyone that listens. Um, if you like the show, feel free to tell your friends. Uh, I'm talking to, to you, Quinn. Tell your friends about the show. I tell, I tell my friends. My uncle told me that he liked uh, the episode two weeks ago. Okay. Um, and he's my strongest critic. So shout out, shout out to you, Uncle Lynn. Um, I, I hope I'm doing you proud. All right. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Also, remember, next week, look for our Nuggets Denver stories. Yeah, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. Bye.